I failed you. I am no spiritual leader. I've let the world down. I'll never be the man you were. You are right. You are trying to hold on to a false perception of yourself. You are not me, and you should not be me. You are Denzin. Bending Not Breaking The Gifts of Imperfection Edition Episode 8 Guidepost 6 Cultivating Creativity Letting Go of Comparison Welcome back to Bending Not Breaking. This is Ben Pruitt, your host for the miniseries on the Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown, and we are featuring moments from Avatar The Last Airbender and the Avatar universe. This is episode eight of the series, and I'm kind of like, can you believe it? Like, we only have a few more left since, and it feels like we just started this miniseries, but we're moving right along. It's going going through. We're, We're trucking on, if you will. And so... That means we're approaching our next season, which is going to be focusing on The Legend of Korra, book two. And we're really excited to discuss some really important moments in book two. But before we do that, we got to get through these guideposts. And I, I guess I should say, like, I'm glad that we're doing this. It's not that like I'm... But I'm also, like, eagerly anticipating Korra. It's, it's, a, it's a win-win situation kind of a deal. Okay, so... We've been working on these guideposts, and we've had some very special guests, and huge shout out to everyone that has joined us so far. Today, though, I am tackling this guidepost alone, but there are a lot of teachers in my life that are going to be with me in spirit, so thanks to everybody uh, that has helped me out in terms of cultivating creativity in my life. We are, in terms of logistics, going to be discussing pages 120 through 126 in the 10th anniversary edition of The Gifts of Imperfection, and next week we will be tackling guidepost 7, and that's on pages 127 through 133. So, loved getting the logistics out of the way, now we can dive into some content. So first things first, the wholehearted inventory, and I have, again, taken this and what I've noticed is that my scores are pretty similar, but this one I'm like, oh, I'm over halfway on this one. So I, I'm closer to like 60-ish percent of the way through on this one. So I feel like a, I deserve a little pat on the back. Um, you know, I love me some creativity, but you know, I, at the same time, I definitely compare myself to others. And I, I think it's part of my Virgo nature, which is all about self-critique, but it's also like being an INFJ and Enneagram One and... I didn't know I was going to talk about all these profiles, but here we are. And, you know, that's okay. We're, we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. Anyway, like, tell us about you. Like, what about you? Just tell us your personality profile in a tweet, and we'll have a good old time discussing it. Um, I digress. So, creativity. Let's talk about it. I, I think that one of the cool things that is worth discussing, and by cool, I mean it's really not cool. It's kind of unfortunate, is the... Uh, creativity slump that occurs around the fourth grade and I think it's worth noting that this is kind of I'm going to give you just a quick uh, anecdote about how it works so just imagine you have a child who draws a horse in kindergarten and it has like six heads polka dots stripes 
clashing colors, all the things that like plaid. There's all it's all kinds of interesting and wild. This horse and. Usually what happens when that kid brings home that horse is mom is like, oh my goodness, I love your horse. That's so great. Um, the kid, other kids in the class are drawing similar horses and, you know, draws a horse. Then, you know, first grade comes along. Hey, draw a horse. Kid draws a horse. This time it's even wilder. It has uh, like hoofed uh, teeth instead of feet. And it has, you know, wings and it's all kinds of interesting and it's very interesting. Second grade, same deal. Third grade, same deal. Fourth grade comes along, and what you start noticing is, you, like, hey, everybody, let's draw a horse. And what happens is this kid looks next to him, and they notice that the person next to them has drawn a horse that's starting to look like the cover of Horse Magazine. <laughs> and then on, on their right, they're noticing that this horse, like, is unreasonably good in terms of realism and it's realistic horse and then he looks at his horse and this horse is you know not so good it still has three heads and poke dots and i say not so good because that's the story that this child is telling himself because when we start comparing our creativity to that of the people around us what we start to do is we start to judge ourselves. We start to tell ourselves stories. And that's what leads to this creativity slump. And, you know, a lot of it stems from these early early scars that we receive from our teachers and our loved ones. And, you know, it's the, it's the teacher that when you draw that horse, you show them and you're proud of it. And they say, oh, it's a good thing you're good at math. Oh, I just, that's so hard (laughs) because I'm just sitting there going like, no, nurture the creativity of this child. Oh, I just, it's, it's really difficult because when you ask about, you know, creativity in adults, many of them will point to not being able to express their creativity because of these creativity scars And that's just something that I think is worth lifting up as we dive into this conversation today, because the first thing that Brene talks about in the book, in this guidepost, is comparison. And she quotes uh, somebody saying that comparison is the thief of joy. And I think that's really telling, right? Because when we see this concept of creativity and we're like, oh, it's great, and then all of a sudden we think about how creativity is just sapped from us when we start comparing ourselves to other people, then we start coming into this tension of why am I doing it? I don't want to do it and look foolish. We start telling ourselves these stories, right? And, you know, one of the things that I find is particularly creative for me is this, this podcast is a very good example, I think, of creativity for me. And I have to tell you that there have been so many times where I've compared myself to, and not myself, but this project rather, to other more successful podcasts. And I am comparing my music to musicians that have been playing. 
and I compare myself and my creativity to others. And I am super interested in like getting better and improvement. And I think often what gets in the way of my improvement and expressing creativity is the fact that I'm trying to improve at an unrealistic rate because I'm comparing myself to to masters. Like, who am I to expect? Like, that's a shame demon in terms of tapes, like, to say who am I to blank. But that's exactly what happens. In my head, I'm like, who am I to compare myself and to even... to compare myself to someone who's been practicing for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours, and I haven't. And I'm comparing myself to them and expecting the same result. And then when I don't achieve it, I feel like it's not worth even trying. Who am I to play piano when, you know, Chopin wrote this when he was X, Y, and Z old. And it's just like, oh my goodness, we can't compare ourselves that way. Otherwise, we would never, ever be creative. And I think that's what's scary is that Brene Brown goes into this and she gives us the one, two, three on creativity. And here they are. There is no such thing as creative people and non-creative people. Only people who use their creativity and those who do not. Unused creativity is not benign. It doesn't just disappear or wait to be expressed. Instead, it metastasizes and festers as resentment and fear, among other things, like blame, all the things that happen that we don't love, <laughs> manifest when we don't utilize our creativity. And that's, that's kind of scary. So that's the first one. The second is the only unique contribution that we will ever make in this world will be born of our creativity. And I'm sitting here going like, oof, <laughs> because that's what we want. I want like I want to lead a purpose-driven life. And if I'm going to have any purpose, then that means I need to make these contributions to the world. And Brene is suggesting that the only way we can accomplish that is going to stem from our expressing creativity. The third of the one, two, threes on creativity is... If we want to make meaning, we need to make art. When we create, we cultivate meaning. So these are like, these are big. And I really want to lean into some moments in the Avatar verse that kind of illustrate these points, that illustrate the comparison is the thief of joy, and that illustrate how creativity can be an outlet that really makes us something more, something um, that we want to live into. So first and foremost, I'm just thinking of several moments of comparison. I'm kind of kind of rapid fire. Like I was kind of brainstorming with my co-host for the main portion of the podcast, Sunshine, and he lifted up a few examples. But the Great Divide is a really good example of the the Zhangs and the Ganjins who are comparing themselves to one another and how it just leads to this misery between the two. And then it's only when they let go of that comparison and begin to embrace each other's differences and see the the goodness in that is when they start to be able to cohabitate and be able to walk on the same road without yelling and screaming at one another. 
Another moment is Azula comparing herself to Zuko and thinking about this, especially in season three in this final Agni Kai where Azula has been comparing herself to really the world and then Zuko arrives and Zuko has been able to step into his authenticity and Azula has not and she is experiencing a lot of issues here and I think that that's a lot stemming a lot of that is stemming from comparison And, and I'm interested also in especially early Zuko thinking about Zuko comparing himself to Azula if we kind of reciprocate that relationship a little bit we see early on in his childhood flashbacks where you know Azula goes up to demonstrate her firebending prowess and how of a little prodigy she is and Zuko is like I can do that and he gets up and he tries and he fails miserably and Azulan is like why are you wasting my time and Zuko is instigated even by Azula. Azula says, you'll never catch up. And when Zuko is constantly comparing himself to Azula, why would he... It's it's no wonder that that led to a form of bending that he eventually had to let go. Because I think bending is a really beautiful expression of creativity. And I find it really interesting that Zuko, I think because of this comparison relationship that he had with Azula, that he started learning to bend out of anger and learning to bend in a way that wasn't serving him authentically, which is why in, you know, book three, episode 13, when he goes to the Sun Warriors, that he's able to rediscover the true nature of firebending and that allows him to bend in a new way and be creative in a way that isn't comparative right i I think that's uh one potential metaphor we can we can take with that i think it's um i'm curious what y'all's thoughts on that are because that's a pretty big claim and i'm i'm curious i'd love to hear a voicemail from anyone who is interested to share uh, you can send that to thearcofe at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, moving into several other moments. I think of Cora definitely comparing herself and like very much comparing herself to Aang, right? Aang, who had mastered all the elements and was a very spiritual leader, especially as an airbender and a very talented airbender. And of course, Cora is comparing herself to, to Aang and comparing her inability to airbend to the fact that Aang was a master airbender at the age of like 11 or 12. And I, I think that's pretty telling, right? And then if we move in with the same thing around Aang, Tenzin comparing himself to Aang, which we kind of got to hear Tenzin kind of moving through that that concept in our introduction, right? We have this moment in book two where Tenzin is realizes that he is not his father and he's not a reflection of his father. He is, he is Tenzin. And it, what a beautiful moment. I got chills when I was listening to it and thinking about it. It's just a, a really beautiful moment. And then connecting the dots between, you know, Tenzin just following the, the line, like Bumi, uh, Tenzin's brother is constantly comparing himself to Tenzin, who is this, you know, 
And I think Boomy's comparing himself to Kaya as well as a non-bender constantly trying to prove himself, right? And, and I think it's comparing ourselves to these other people in our lives that thieves and steals this joy and we just aren't ever able to, to deal with it. And because I think the way that Brene explains it, it, that comparison is a mixture of conformity and competition, which is really paradoxical in a way, because when we desire to be just like everyone else, but we also want to stand out, that's it's really a, a tough sell. It's like, be like everyone else, but better. And <laughs> I think that's what makes comparison so difficult. It's very similar to the trains of thought that I think about when we discussed perfectionism on our prior episode with Indira. So I think everything is connected there, right? Because, all, and again, as mentioned before, all of these, these guideposts are interconnected and none of them are in a silo. They're all um, relate to one another. Oof. So here's the deal. People, when we're like, yeah, let's, you know, let's go be creative. People will, all, I'm not the creative type. And <laughs> I think what that often translates to is like in their head, the thing that I imagine them saying is like, oh, that's really cute. You can do your like little A-R-T, but I have a J-O-B. And it's just this really cynical, judgmental. And of course, that's the story I'm telling myself. But I think that also stems from the fact that when I was unable to tap into my creativity because I was so driven to you know be school oriented and I couldn't do what I wanted to do because of the story I was telling myself that I wasn't enough unless I accomplished right it that was what I was saying in my head that's really cute and you can do your little ART but I have a J-O-B which is like super snarky and sassy but you know you can't win them all <laughs> so I, I think it's worth just realizing that we all might have that capacity and I wonder what what are the tapes that are playing in our head when we're invited into creativity? What are the tapes that play that prevent us from engaging creativity? And some of us are really good at it. And to also put it in perspective, some of us are really good at it with some things, but not with others, right? It's just because we are, you know, a master pianist doesn't mean that we allow ourselves to be creative in other areas. And so... I think creativity is something that's pervasive into all of the different avenues that we take throughout our life. And we do need to express our creativity in some way. And I think that we need to learn to be creative in all of our different kind of uh, modes of being. And that's something I would, uh, I think I would lift up as something that Brene doesn't necessarily lift up. Uh, so I wonder if that's true, right? It's not necessarily in her text, but I, I wonder what it would be like to ask her that question and to, to say, hey, Brene, I wonder if creativity is enough in just one area of our life, right? I would, I would ask that question. Is it, do we need to be creative in all of our different modes of being? What do you think? I'm curious. Tell us on, you know, all of the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, send us a, a little DM or a tweet or something like that. BNB underscore pod. Love to hear from you. Or, you know, you can also join our Facebook group and have a, start a conversation there. That'd be super cool too. I'd love to, to partake. Okay, okay, okay. So 
thinking about on the other side, we've definitely able to lift out moments of comparison, right? I, I think I also want to take moments to lift up that are moments of creativity. And, you know, I, I really love Iroh for this because I, I think that for Iroh, one of the things that is really a, a lovely form of creativity for him is not just his bending where he was able to, you know, be called the dragon of the west because he breathed fire and you know created this technique or you know at least became famous for it and i I think that that's a form of creativity but i also really admire iroh because i think tea making is is a form of creativity for iroh and taking time to experiment with different teas and learn how to uh, find the perfect brew and learn what precisely it works. You know, what happens in the comics is Iroh creates essentially what is a, a boba tea, right? And he uh, comes up with this whole this whole thing where he creates these this mode of tea that didn't exist in the world of Avatar and, and now does because of Iroh's uh, love of tea and pursuit of creativity in, in, in that regard. So... I think that's a really neat example of, of creativity that we can learn from, from Iroh. And then, of course, we can't, you know, talk about creativity without talking about Sokka. I think that Sokka is probably the first person that people come up with when anybody asks about creativity in the Avatarverse because he's so, there's so much ingenuity that comes from Sokka that I think is really possible because he... You know, he fails a lot, and I think that he's willing to fail. And when we are willing to fail because we're not worried about what others are thinking of us, then we are more able and more capable of tapping into that creativity and utilizing it and testing things out. And we see him do that. We see him create the war balloon. We see him create a submarine. We see him, and early on, we see him create what looks to be uh, like this perfect way to get into the uh, Avatar Roku's um, chamber, I guess. I don't know what I would call it. The In the Fire Temple. <laughs> uh, in the Fire Nation, right? Where Avatar Roku goes, or Aang goes to see Roku on the summer solstice, or on the, on the solstice. And I think we see his creativity from the very beginning. It's just consistently throughout. And I think it's also important to realize that that's what uh, Master Piandao recognized in Sokka as well, right? Uh, I think he said he says I have the quote actually. Um, and as we trained, it wasn't your skills that impressed me. No, it certainly wasn't your skills. You showed something beyond that: creativity, versatility, intelligence. These are the traits that define a great swordsman, and these are the traits that define you. You told me you didn't know if you were worthy but I believe you to be more worthy than any man I have ever trained. Master Pian Tao, man. Wow, that's just, again, I'm getting chills just thinking about somebody saying that to me, right? Like, wow. And he just recognizes that creativity. And I think it's really beautiful. And you'll you'll note that <laughs> Master Pian Tao asked Sokka to, you know, paint in this episode right? And Sokka turns around and what we see is this, these are like stick figure drawings and things along those lines and it's, he looks like a, a four-year-old druid. 
And I think it's important to realize that that is not like we, when I say we need to be creative, it doesn't mean you need to be creating this realistic art that is, you know, quote unquote, perfect, because perfect, as we remember, is not something that's worth aiming for. (laughs) It's a downward spiral. Instead, what we're looking for is the creativity, the willingness to express ourselves. That is what we're aiming for. And again, I, I want to transition a little bit away from Sokka, but again, I say again because I want to talk about bending. And I think the, the person I want to lift up here is Toph. Because, you know, I, I wonder if we asked Toph, like, about, you know, are you a creative person? I wonder what Toph would say. But I, I believe that Toph is incredibly creative. And and creative in the sense that like literally creates things <laughs> and and we like all through the comics she's creating these statues of herself and she creates metal bending and when she is practicing her bending she uses creativity as well we see in book three when she is uh like honing her skills that she creates like an entire replica of bossing say in the sand and i think that that is an immense form of creativity that where she just is able to show this immense um, pursuit of of creativity there. I think that's just really beautiful, you know. And just to you know compare, <laughs> badumch, um, Sokka is right next to her creating a thing of Fursuki. and I think what is beautiful about that moment is Sokka's sand sculpture looks nothing like Suki, right? But that's not what matters. What matters is that he was willing to create it. What matters is that he wasn't comparing himself to Toph's sand skills, sand like castle building skills, if you will, right? He was still willing to to put himself out there and do something for Suki, right? And it, it wasn't a matter of skill. It was a matter of leveraging the creativity we have within us and utilizing it because again, unused creativity is not benign it metastasizes as resentment and fear and blame and judgment and i don't think we see that from Sokka, and i think it's because he's not worried about it and i think that's really beautiful oh i think that is a wrap on this episode uh but before we do that we're going to take a short break and come back to to discuss some dig so much for for attending to this episode and, and listening in I'm, I'm excited that we got to dive into some really important stuff talking about creativity uh, i'm sure we missed some really cool moments 
that were creative uh, and really cool moments of, of comparison we could use to discuss. But uh, send them our way. We'd love to hear about them. Discuss them with us. We're, we're active and engaged um, in these conversations and we'd love to, to talk with you about it. Okay, let's talk about Dig, which is, again, just as a reminder for somebody who may not, or may, this might be your first listen um, in this mini-series, but Dig is the acronym that Brene offers us, um, and it's, again, it's getting deliberate, it's getting inspired, and then getting going. And what Brene offers us is that for D, getting deliberate, is the reminder that creativity is not a luxury that we have to be intentional about making space for it. We have to plug it into our schedule. So I'm, I'm calling on us to think about how are we gonna make sure that we save time and make it a priority to have an opportunity to be creative. We wanna get deliberate here. For I, we're going to, uh, well, to use Brene's language, Brene uh, geeks out with like-minded people people who enjoy expressing creativity in similar ways to her. And for me, I, I kind of really get inspired to be creative by listening to people who have really honed their craft or watching people who have honed their craft or being near people who have really put themselves into a creative project. It's just so inspiring to, to try and, and do something similar where them themselves are so like they are so visible in in the art that they're creating. So that's that's something that inspires me is being proximate to others who are being creative. And then gee, get going. <laughs> Brene suggests that you sign up for a class, like take a wine and design class, do a word woodworking class, coding, you name it. Whatever is that that's that creative itch that you want to scratch, like pick a class in the area, creative whatever your creative inclination is, and then take that class. And I know that's like, you know, that's a form of privilege to be able to sign up for a class and just say, oh, well, I'm just going to make room and make time for it. But if that's not an option, what are what are the ways that you can begin to get going with this? Like actually take the time to, um, what are you going to do when you have that free space that you've made deliberate intention for, right? When you have that time in your schedule, how are you going to make sure that you have some accountability to ensure that you're trying? Okay. I am, I I guess um, just in hindsight, I'm like, oh, my accountability is I have to post an episode every Tuesday. Um, Anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, So here we are. We are at the end of the episode, and again, I just want to thank you all for being a part of this this community. I am really grateful for, for everybody who's listening. If you are interested, we do have a Patreon, and everyone who supports on Patreon is just such an amazing human. I'm so grateful. We do have perks. We have three tiers. You can learn more about those on Patreon, uh, and our handle is bnb underscore pod. And we hope you'll join us there. If you, financially you are unable to support us, but you're curious about how, a great way to do it is to tell your friends about this podcast that might enjoy it. 
uh, also to give us a review somewhere, whether it be on Apple, whether it be on whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts, give us that review because they go a long way in terms of algorithms and things along those lines. And it's really helpful when, when those exist. So we'd appreciate it if you have the capacity. Okay, that's the end. Uh, with that in mind, I want to take a moment to just thank all of our favorite people. Um, I want to thank Noah Blanchard, Alex Mayfield, Max Gongaware, all of our patrons, all of our listeners, and especially you. So thank you for being a part of this. And until next time, be well and do good. <laughs>